Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Excuse My Reach. I'm your host, Emma Isaac. Today, our guest is Cameron Motameni, Senior Design Quality Engineer at Illumina, a biotechnical research company that aims to apply innovative technologies and revolutionary assays to the analysis of genetic variation and function. Cameron is a skilled biomedical engineer with vast experience in research and development, previously working at the University of Minnesota, Boston Scientific, and Abbott. He has had impressive progression in his profession while balancing the pursuit of his passion for app design. I am very interested to hear about his career path, his work outside of his day job, and how he's navigated his way through this space. So without further ado, Cameron, welcome to Excuse My Reach. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited that you're here. I think it's going to be a really great time. For some background, me and Cameron know each other from high school, actually, even before high school. I think we probably went to middle school together. Were you in school when we were in middle school together? Yeah, I joined that school in like fifth grade. So Okay, fifth grade. I joined in preschool, so I had some years on you there. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I was there. I I was a lifer there. But I'm excited to have this conversation because I know you from knowing you like in a high school, middle school setting, but I don't feel like I know a lot about you professionally and also your specific profession, I know very little about. So I'm really interested to hear more about it. I'm interested to have other people hear more about what you do. So we're going to get into it all. But where I want to start is what you were like as a kid. Because I think it's really interesting how that can translate into adulthood. So tell me a little bit about yourself as a kid, what you like to do, and what you were like in general. As a kid, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, I would say as a kid, I try to not take life too seriously. I would just be kind of a goofball and just joke around. Um, I also used to play video games like all the time. So I think that's what really got me into computers and and uh things on like the tech side, things like that. And then other than that, just hanging out with friends, just playing some sports here and there too, but a huge video game guy for sure. What was your favorite video game? Uh, I was really into Halo, Halo 3. Nice, nice. Um, When I was a little kid, like, I don't know, like 10 or something, there was this game called RuneScape that everyone was obsessed with. I remember RuneScape. (laughs) Everyone was obsessed with that. And so was I, I would just play like all the time. Me and my friends would... Just instead of linking up in person, which I don't know how you link up as like a, <laughs> it's like a 10 year old. Yeah. But you just say, oh, are you going to be online tonight? And we would just like do that. Um, so, yeah. RuneScape is really such a throwback game. I don't think I've heard anybody say that word in like years, honestly. That's crazy. That just unlocked some memories for me. Yeah, it's one of those things when you say it, everyone's li- eyes just like light up and they're like, I know exactly. It's like when you say Tamagotchis or something that's oh, like a blast from the past. Or like Neopets. <gasps> yes, Neopets. <laughs> wow, that's insane. Very cool. So when you played video games, it was a lot of community-based video games for you? Like you were always playing with your friends or were there some that you were just like playing by yourself? And what did you prefer? Yeah. Definitely. There's a, most of them, the ones that I really like think back on are the ones that I played with my friends because that was just our way of hanging out. And then we would meet up the next day and just joke around about it, um, especially during COVID, too. If we fast forward to then, that was something that I really relied on for just some social interaction. And I, I grew close to a lot of good friends and, and old friends as well, um, playing those types of games. But um, yeah, and then there's a few that I just played on my own that you just get sucked into um, as a for kid. Sure playing hours a day. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I love that you said that that kind of drew you into the tech space and things that you're sort of still interested in now. I'm wondering that when you graduated from school, was engineering at the top of your mind? Was it something that you were like, I'm immediately for sure going to go into engineering? Or were you kind of wavering in the decision? Actually, no, it was actually pretty wild, just decision making throughout uh, college. I actually wanted to be a doctor um, after graduating. And I think that was just the classic, like, it's it's very successful to be right. a doctor. You know, it's hard, but it's a good thing to do. Um, I knew I, my heart may, like, I liked it for good reasons. I, I liked helping people. I like um, just the career path it can take you towards. Um, I 
wasn't sure on if it was the right fit for me um, in terms of just what I want to do on my day to day or um, just just how much how challenging it is to actually get to a point where you're established in your career. Like it mm-hmm. takes many years to be a doctor. Um, so I wasn't sure if I was totally set on it, but I wanted to try to pursue it in college just in case. So I took a pre-med track and actually I took a, in the beginning I was a physics major um, cause I enjoyed physics class a lot with Dr. Fisher. <laughs> um, so he kind of drew me into that. So because that was my favorite class, I was like, I want to be a physics major, whatever that means. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I got put into physics three, my first semester of freshman year. And it just destroyed me completely. It was a totally different experience and it wasn't something I enjoyed. And then from there, I think my line of thinking was I'm in pre-med. I'm doing a medical track. I am interested in engineering. Why not pursue my major, which is biomedical engineering, which is the one I graduated with. So that was the pivot that sort of drew me into that world. And um, yeah, it was a really cool major where they, it's just a mixture of a lot of different Um, engineering classes. So it's a lot of electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and it has a little emphasis on the medical and biological side of it. Were you shocked at all? Because you said that in high school, physics was your favorite class and that it was so much more challenging in college. Mm -hmm. I guess, were you shocked at all that it was so much more challenging or did you know that it was (laughs) like kind of going to be like, tell me about that. I thought it was going to be challenging. It was one of those moments where I realized that the teacher really makes it count. So shout out to Dr. Fisher, if he's listening to this at all. Um, He, like, there's a, I think there's a lot of skill that's needed to be a good student and also, like, be a good teacher. And at the time, I was like, oh, this teacher is, like, not really, I'm not a fan of how they're teaching, really. Like, I'm not really learning a lot. But I also uh, learned a lot throughout my college career of just the mistakes I made as a student, especially my first semester of freshman year. Um, like there's a lot of habits that you need to get used to, like studying and, and keeping on track and not just um, not just cramming everything in the last minute before a test, you know? So yeah, that was a huge shock to me, that world. Do you feel like that was your biggest mistake in college, just continuing to cram? I think so, yeah. I think I was just a huge procrastinator and it was really hard for me to focus. And then junior year, I really focused on uh, just getting better at that and trying to do things a little bit more proactively. And that was when I saw the biggest change. And then by that point, too, you were also already in biomedical engineering. So you were, mm-hmm. right, like pairing better habits with probably a better major for you. Yeah. And the stakes were high up till junior year because I didn't actually get accepted into the biomedical major. I just started taking classes technically in the biomedical major. So I wouldn't know till junior year if I did good enough, if I would actually be accepted into the school and actually get my degree. So that's so stressful. Yeah, the stakes got a little bit high there. So you solidified, you're going to be doing biomedical engineering, you have some background in other types of engineering. Like you're saying, right, junior year is when you fully were able to transition into that major. So then you kind of only had, right, like one to two full years of being solidified in this. When did you kind of start looking out in the job market for anything that aligned with this major? And did you find it at all difficult because you were just now entering into it full-fledged in an academic standpoint? Yeah, that's a good question. So that was a position I was in junior year where... I saw a lot of people had either internships or past experience that um, at the time I thought I couldn't pursue because I, I just didn't think I um, had like the, the experience like academically to pursue that um, or my major wasn't for sure. So by the time my major was decided for sure, I, I thought to myself, I am going to need some type of experience at this point to be able to pursue the job market uh, when I graduate. So. My way was through research at the U of M, um, and I was offering to just volunteer my services, but but luckily they actually have a lot of paid opportunities there. And my strategy was just to email a lot of professors, basically just go to the U of M website, uh, see all the labs that people are doing great work on, and I emailed all the professors in those labs and asked if they needed help. And 
I got one or two people to reach out to me to um, help them and, and get an interview, like to just help with them in their lab. And I remember one of them, uh, who was my PI for, uh, he's like the lab owner um, of this research lab. Uh, we interviewed and he asked about my experience and, and I was honest with him. And I told him, I actually don't have any experience. And he was like, yeah, any experience with a lab, any working in a lab environment? And I was like, no, not really. And he said, okay, when can you start? <laughs> and I said, I could start today. Oh my God. And he said, okay, sounds good. Um, and then that's, that's was my very first uh, biomedical related job as a research assistant at the University of Minnesota. Um, and I worked really closely with him and a graduate student on um, opto acoustic electronics in that lab. So did you ever have a conversation with him about why he gave you a shot? No, I don't think so. I think <laughs> you just saw that I just had interest in it. And then he just decided to give me a shot. See everyone go for it. Even if you don't have experience, be confident and be honest, I guess. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. Really cool. What do you feel like was the biggest thing that you learned from that opportunity that allowed you to get the next job? A few things I learned. One big one is just collaborating with teammates. So, um, not so I had my responsibilities on my own that I had to work on, but I also had to brainstorm and collaborate with um, grad students and the lab owner, who, who's the professor, who is there. So uh, that really taught me. I worked there for I think throughout the summer, and then a few more months after that. That really taught me how to be proficient on my own, um, as well as to be able to communicate the work that I've been doing and communicate the results of my work in a really neat and organized fashion and also be able to collaborate with others in real time too. All super useful skills that you could probably take into any job anywhere. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> really cool. Before we get too far into this profession and all your experiences thus far, I would really like to know just if you could give a high level of what you actually do and a bit more about the industry as a whole. Because I think if somebody just hears what like a design quality engineer, if they just hear that title, mm -hmm. I think if you're not in the industry, it may be kind of confusing. Like, what does that mean? So if you could just give us really a high level of what that is and say it in like the simplest terms possible. Yeah, absolutely. So in the med device industry, you're working on a lot of products that are for patients with either diseases or to help improve their lives. A lot of those products come with the risk of giving them side effects, right? So if you get an implant, there could be some side effects from that. Um, the med device company is very responsible for making sure that the benefit that their product is providing for their patient outweighs the risk of using it. And that involves following a lot of very strict uh, guidelines from, for example, the FDA to make sure that you accurately decided that the benefit of your product outweighs the risk. So my job as a design quality engineer, um, my focus is on risk management at Illumina. So we have a lot of processes that are established in our company that follow those governmental guidelines. And I make sure that all of our products um, that are for the patient have followed those processes correctly to make sure that the benefit does indeed outweigh the risk. That sounds like an incredibly important job, actually. And it's one of those that I don't think that you'd ever really think of, like any kind of medical device ever that you've ever used personally. I don't think you think of the process that it has to go through in order for it to be on the shelf prior to you using it. So mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. For the medical devices that you work on, are they exclusively in hospitals or are they actual products that people could pick up on their own or anything like that? So the ones that um, I work on currently, they're diagnostic products. So our company focuses on DNA sequencing and they can sequence your DNA to find a lot of, to find out a lot of information about their patients, uh, whether they have cancer or if a patient is pregnant, um, what is the status of their, their child? while they're pregnant too. So 
a lot of these devices can either be used in a research setting um, where they're just trying to just create studies using our projects or sorry, our products. And then the ones that I mainly work on are for diagnostic uses. So to actually give a clinical result when a patient comes in and they just decide what they found out about you. It's like, even though you didn't end up going the pre-med track, it's very intertwined still, you know, (laughs) but it's like, (laughs) you think it's easier? I think so. Yeah. Knowing some friends in med school, but it's still, uh, I think it's probably still rewarding. What do you, do you feel like it is rewarding? Yeah, I think it's really rewarding. And I think, um, it's not just me working on it too. It's like a lot of team members who focus. So there's a lot of stages where a device goes through before it gets released. And it starts from the very beginning when you don't know much about your product all the way to the very end where you know a lot about your product and it's released on the market and you learn information based on how customers interact with it on the market too. So there's tons of people sort of doing the the same thing. Um, A lot of quality engineers who just make sure that all of that information is organized and um, taken into account perfectly just to make sure that our patients aren't getting harmed. That's really amazing. That's really cool. Every job that you've had prior to this one, has it been essentially the same kind of work leading up to this current job? Um, It's actually varied a lot. So my career track was based on a lot of contracting in the beginning. So if anyone's in a similar um, field that I am, that's a really good way to get a lot of um, short-term experience pretty quickly because these contracts can be six months to a year and normally you work with organizations that help place you into these jobs I'll, you have to interview for these to make sure that they like the job, but <laughs> right. um, and it's a good way to get your feet into the industry or in many different companies just to see what you really have a passion for so i started with supply engineering which is just working with suppliers to make sure that their products that they're that we're using for our devices have been vetted to the highest quality. So that involves doing a lot of studies and providing reports to us to make sure that they've been tested so that they wouldn't fail when we use them. And that was my very first job. So it was a lot of just learning how things work and just doing the the smallest tasks that you have to do. And then from there, I pivoted to a process development engineer. And that was more working on the manufacturing lines to make sure that um, the equipment that's used on a manufacturing line is up to date. It's calibrated. Um, it's been qualified for use and operators can use it efficiently. And then from there, that's when I dived into the design quality world where it was more documentation and more just strategizing how, uh, you document all this information for your product so you can present it during audits. What do you prefer? I like the work-life balance of the design quality side. Honestly, that was the thing that drew it to me the most. Um, I do like the problem solving of process development too, though. That was always something really interesting. If something goes wrong, you just, you know, nothing, but you have to figure out how that piece of equipment works and what's wrong with it. And then you have to fix it in like a timely manner because they're working on creating these products like on the line every day. Really cool. With all three of these, I mean, you talked a bit about the skills that you came out of that first job knowing, like from that research job. I'm sure that there are certain programs, right, that you probably didn't know how to use when you first came into this world. I know that like for my career, there there are many things that I would not know platform wise unless you were in the industry. So are there specific platforms, specific skills that you feel like are essential when entering this field? Yeah, I think a lot of the platforms that we use on the field, besides like Excel and, and Word, um, they're mostly used on your in the company itself. It's not really something that you could you'd want to practice outside of the job. It's a <laughs> lot of you have to use this product just to make sure that everything's organized. Um, so a lot of softwares that organize all your documents in the company as a main thing. Um, I think besides software, I think a big thing that these jobs have taught me to do is how to communicate properly with my peers, um, how to 
organize my tasks, uh, time management to make sure that not only are you supposed to complete a project or a task, but your other team members also rely on it too. So you have to take that into consideration when managing your time. Um, and also just being able to learn and problem solve very quickly as well. I think that's something that college taught me really well and working in all these jobs has also taught me like even more is if you come across an issue or a problem, um, how do you get to the bottom of what's causing the problem and how to fix it as fast as possible. What do you feel like you are the worst at that has been the most challenging that you feel like is the most necessary for this job? That's a really good question. Mm. What am I the worst at that I would need for this job? I would say the time management a little bit. It's something I have to force myself to do. Mm. So if I just knew I had something to do, I, especially if I just had it in my head, I would not be good at just tackling that right away. Um, but I need to just make sure that I have everything in front of me, like either like a post-it note or some, some tracker in Excel to make sure that this due date isn't coming up in, in a few days just to make sure I get a, a start on it as soon as possible. See, you guys can do it too. Even if you're bad at time management, you can still be right where Cameron is right now. <laughs> He's living proof. He's living proof. Yeah. Well, I want to bring it back a bit. You mentioned the work-life balance and that that's something that really stood out to you about why you like your current job. What does that work-life balance look like? Like, is it a true nine to five? It's definitely a true nine to five. I think the biggest thing is I really do enjoy working remote. There's a lot of things I miss about working in person, um, but just the fact that I have like the opportunity to be able to just work at home and sort of make my own schedule around that um, really gave me a lot of just joy in, in my day to day. So that's the main thing. So I think before, before COVID hit, even if you had this job, you would still be uh, working in person. But now it's given a little bit, I don't know if we're steering away from remote life. I've heard there's some, a lot of people are trying to get people back in the office now. Um, but that's one of the things that, that drew me to it. Do you feel like you miss it at all, though, just having like a community aspect of going into work? Yeah, definitely I do. I remember when I when we first worked from home the first time, and then they were trying to bring people back to the office, my old job, a lot of the higher ups were saying that it's just so vital to just be able to bump shoulders with your coworker and be like, Oh, I haven't seen you in a while. Like let's grab lunch and then have a conversation. And at first I was like, that's just an excuse to get people back. <laughs> to the office. Not real. Um, but yeah, I, for the past three years, I've kind of changed my tune on that, which I'll admit where it's even being in the right place in the right time is just like, it could really do wonders for you, honestly. So Definitely. I want to touch a bit on the fact that you have the word senior in your job title, right? Okay. Because that means that you've gone through some sort of promotion. And I'm really curious about that because I think promotion structures are very different, obviously across companies, across industries, but I want to know how that kind of worked for you, whether it was like you knew that it was time to leave a company in order to get promoted somewhere else, how you made that kind of decision, what steps that you took in order to progress within your career, if you could just talk a bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So I was um, a, I was contracting for, I believe, two years um, in the med device industry in different companies. So uh Boston Scientific and Abbott. And once I was promoted to full-time at Abbott, I was still an engineer one, actually. So the the way that this that the hierarchy goes would be engineer one and then engineer two and then engineer and then senior engineer. Uh, that's for the companies that I've worked with. I think some others will do it differently. Um, when I got promoted to full-time, I still realized that there's a certain inflection point when you're able to perform a lot of tasks on your own. You're still, you still want to learn every day, even as a senior, I'm learning a lot of stuff. Um, but there's a point when your responsibilities are sort of creeping over that entry level route and going towards like the higher route. And when I saw the job track at my current company and I saw how long it would take to get there, 
I explored other opportunities outside of it just to see what was open. And I actually applied for a contracting position at Illumina, which was a senior engineer position. And luckily it was the right place, right time. I just saw it on LinkedIn and then I got an interview and then I, I got the job and, and I was able to uh, contract through there. I think it's a lot harder to get promoted within the same company or especially as a, as a full-time engineer um, versus contracting and finding different opportunities out there where you can really come in as a new fresh face and really show um, what you can be responsible for and have like very result driven actions done for you. Yeah. What are your top interview tips for people? Ooh, star method. That's a huge one. That's a star method. Tell us what that is. Yeah. So that's a a way of structuring your answers in an interview where it's the situation, then the task, then action and result. So whenever someone is interviewing you, asks you a question of how'd you accomplish this at your work, you say what the situation was, you say the tasks that uh, you were given based on the situation, and then you tell the interviewer what actions you took to get to your result. And then you talk about your result and how it impacted either the project or the company um, or your team in a positive way. So that's one of the really, really important tools and interviews that I think a lot of interviewees look for. Um, And even if they don't know the star method or if they're not thinking of it back of their heads, they appreciate that structure of, of the answer and it stands out. That's a really good tip. Have you gotten the chance to interview anybody else at your job that you're currently at? Yeah, I have actually. It was really, it blew my mind because I never interviewed anyone until <laughs> this moment. It was very like first or second one. Um, so it was really interesting looking back and being like, oh, if someone wanted to interview me, what would they ask me? Like, what have they been asking me? And there's a lot of classic ones, like it's your strengths and your weaknesses and uh, how you work, collaborate with team members. And then there's like the more focused ones of, can you do this specifically for the job? Can you tell if those interviewees are using the STAR method or not? Yeah, sometimes. I haven't found one that has yet. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think if they actually did do the STAR method, it'd be something that I would notice. Interesting. Do you find that when you're doing that, you're mentally thinking about all of those steps while you're answering the questions? Like, is that at all distracting to think about process while you're giving an answer? Yeah, normally I have to just start with the situation and then I have to hope I can think of the task. And you're the like, T, T, T. Then I'll just be freeze, frozen up in the interview and then they'll be like, what is this guy thinking about right now? <laughs> it's, I feel like it's definitely something that probably takes some practice, but once you get it down, it probably is incredibly useful. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I'm interested to know, I mean, we already kind of talked about what the most rewarding parts of your job are and if you feel like it is rewarding, which you do. But I want to know too, what are some things that you feel like you don't feel completely fulfilled by in your role? And I guess what ways are you able to seek that out past just that nine to five? That's a really good question. So I think one of the biggest things in my role, especially if you work for a company with a lot of employees is that you're really working on just optimizing aspects of uh, either a project or, um, or just documentation or strategy, just a little bit. And, And that takes a lot of collaboration and it's pretty fulfilling to meet that goal or meet that deadline. But at the end of the day, you don't really see that product in front of you. You just know it's something that was important that you did complete. And that's something I really like. If I like working, if I work on something or if I work really hard on something, I really like just seeing the result of that um, physically in front of me and to be able to share it with other people and ask them what they think, stuff like that. So that was something that really drove me to pursue um, something on the side, (laughs) which is... uh, Tell us what that is, Cameron, please. so, So on the side, I pursued app design and that story goes way back so um just designing mobile applications for people who want to create an app if they want someone to basically just show them like how it's going to look um 
that goes back to my uh, senior year in college. Uh, for our final project, we had to create a device, a medical device, with the help of uh, a doctor and um, a lot of team members um, to create a device that could be used on market. And one of my main responsibilities for this device is making was making the UI for that. So um, we had a software with a little screen and I was able to just show just what information this device was diagnosing. And I thought that was super fun. And ever since then, it was something that I was really passionate about. Then my sister found the career called of UX design, which is basically just designing mobile applications. But it's not just the way that the app looks. It's also the way that the app feels and what experience it gives the user when they're using it. So she pursued that. And she pursued that through a springboard boot camp and fast forward to now. And she's actually a UX designer at uh, United Airlines, which is really cool. It's amazing. So her pursuing that sort of introduced me to that field and that world. And it gave me a lot of interest. I didn't know it was a field in the first place. And I still really liked what I was doing currently from my nine to five. But it was also really rewarding to be able to work on a project and kind of get on an artsy creative um, side of things, of projects, and be able to actually like show that to people. So because of that, that was something I pursued on this side. Okay, we need to get into this way more because I have so many questions. Yeah. First question I want to know about it is, tell us how the time management kind of even works, having a nine to five, and then also realizing that you want to pursue something on your own. Like, what has that been like so far? Has it been stressful? Has it been hard to balance the two? Um, there's ups and downs. In the beginning, it was actually a lot of fun because I was learning just how to do it in the first place. And I learned it way back a few years ago in the beginning. Um, and that was when my work-life balance was a little bit better. It didn't really, um, my nine to five wasn't really something that I needed to be focused on from nine to five. Uh, this was before I even moved to Chicago. And now when I'm actually doing it for as a, as a business on the side, you really have to manage this nine to five while also being able to work on it enough after to make some good progress to, to meet a deadline for a client. Um, one thing that's really good is a lot of the people I've worked for, they don't really care too much about when it's done. It's more like as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. So that was something that really helped me out a lot. But at the same time, there were times when, I would have to work on the weekend and things like that. And although it's fun, I also would rather just be socializing with my friends and things like that. So it's really important to find that balance between like what you can gain from it and how much you can handle because you want to avoid burnout as much as you can. For sure. And then like figuring out prioritization, you know, like if this is something that you really want to go full fledged in, it's like, okay, well, you got to find the time and you have found the time and specifically yeah. making it a business too is really amazing one because obviously I'm hoping you're profiting a little bit from the work that you're doing but I'm curious to know how did you turn this into a business tell us like everything did you have to create a website did you design your own website how yeah. did you get clients all of it I want to know yeah so the whole story starts is there's this website called Fiverr which is a, a freelancing website that anyone can sign up for and offer their services um I think I found this website through like a TikTok or an Instagram reel, something like that. And I thought that would be really cool. I want to do that. Um, at the main problem with that, though, is a lot of these freelancing sites, they really rely on the reviews you get for, um, for projects and from clients, things like that. And you can't really offer your services at a certain price if there's someone else out there with a totally full portfolio and hundreds of reviews saying that they're doing an excellent job, a client's just going to want to go or a customer's just going to want to go to that person instead. Right. right. So my idea was let me make an account and basically make pricing as low as I possibly can <laughs> uh, until I get enough reviews to slowly creep that price up a little bit. Yeah. So I started doing full app designs for like $5 on there. So it's one of those things where someone sees a guy has no reviews $5 and they're like, okay, I'll risk $5. To see, see if he's it. legit. Yeah. And it was also a good um, opportunity to learn even more and get used to not only just how to design, but also the software you need to design. 
Um, and it gave me a little bit of leeway because if someone's paying $5 for something and they get a really good product, even if there's some mistakes here and there, they're going to think it's worth it. So from there, I actually, one of the things that I didn't know that was going to happen is I met a lot of people who were either my age or even um, twice my age who just had ideas that could be turned into a more full-fledged business later on. And they would come to Fiverr to sort of make their MVPs. So whenever I worked on a project and they wanted more work to be done, uh, I could actually do that work for them outside of Fiverr because I introduced myself, like we communicated pretty well um, over Zoom and, and we built that relationship. And then I was able to work with them independently um, in the future, whenever they had something. That's really amazing that you were basically just able to create this network from this one platform that you found on like either TikTok or Reels. Yeah, it's really cool. It's just cool to be able to just from anywhere in the in the world, you can meet people who are just working on really cool projects. And, and that's the one thing that connected us together. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Did you have to then ask people like, hey, can you please review it? Like, can you give me more reviews to get some credibility here? Or did they just start doing it authentically? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I normally it was authentically. I think Fiverr does a good job sort of pestering for a review. I think their system is first you have to review them and then they'll give you a review as well. So there's been, so normally I wouldn't have an issue of someone reviewing me. And then there was a point where now I have over like 50 reviews. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's a point when like the review is just another thing that just adds to it. So it's not as high stakes anymore. So now that you have over 50 reviews, have you increased your prices? Are you no longer, can we no longer get your services for $5? (laughs) (laughs) Not for $5 anymore, but. (laughs) Okay. He's way more experienced now, everyone. So if you want, if you want, if you want an app, you got to pay for it a little bit higher. I actually, I actually want you to speak on that. I want to know how did you decide to then change your pricing? Was that challenging? Did you have to kind of do market research on what other people your level were pricing at? Yeah, I think my main um, strategy was if I'd rather lose half, if you can lose half of your potential customers, but make twice as much from your customers, then it evens out, right? Mm, Yeah. The work. So it was kind of a balancing act of being like, okay, I'm getting this many customers for this price. I'm okay doubling my price. And if I lose a few people here and there, then that's unfortunate. But um, I'll be able to have more time on my hands, basically. And I also did this thing where, like I said, a lot of people would order a few screens. They're like, I want five screens for my app. And it's a type of business where you know they'll come back for more uh, Mm -hmm. because way more than five screens in an app, right? So for those customers, I would say, I'm going to raise my prices, but for you, I will keep it the same price if you come back. And every time they put place an order, they got to review again. So that really beefed up the amount of reviews I was getting. How did you learn it all? It doesn't seem like something that you learn from a book. It seems like you keep telling us you're learning from experience, from taking on new projects. Were you also like watching YouTube videos about how to do this? I know you said your sister is in UX design. So tell us how you learned. Yeah, there was a lot of mentorship from my sister. Also, she had a um, springboard account that I was able to just audit a little bit. So I could actually do the materials and not actually get my certificate, but just see what it takes to get it and just do those exercises. Um, And then I think the visual part of it just comes from a lot of practice and yeah, YouTube videos, seeing examples. Um, I think you can also just take existing apps and create them yourself just to learn on how those were made and how everything is sized properly. And it's just small additions and, um, or small lessons that I just took here and there on till I got to the point where I am today. But yeah, a lot of online resources are really good for, for learning about that stuff. Is creating an app challenging or is it more kind of fun? Is it time consuming? I'm just so curious about the actual work of it in general, how it how it works. Yeah, it's all of those things. It's, it's super fun. Um, I always love just my, my process. Whenever I would meet a client, I would hop on a call with them and just get to know like what they're envisioning, like what they like, what kind of style they want it in. And then it's really challenging to, because it's a very subjective thing, right? You have to basically 
everything that they want, you have to show visually. And it's just up to them whether they think it looks nice or not, right? So there's a lot of clients who are normally just, oh, this looks amazing. I love it. Thank you so much. And then there are other clients where they want things in a very specific way. And even though I don't necessarily agree with those ways, there's a point when I know it's just my client and the customer is always right and I have to cater to to what they want, right? So to be able to compromise like that and also to be able to um, communicate with them in, in a good manner to show that I'm taking out all of your feedback that you have and I'm giving you a new version of it that follows all that. So that is, oh, here's another business strategy too, kind of ties into this is Fiverr runs for designs. They ask for, you pay a certain price and you get a set amount of revisions. So if you have any feedback, you can just ask for um, specific changes to be done for your design. And a lot of people out there offering their services, they limit that amount of revisions to either like three or five times based on the price. My big, bold letter headline was unlimited revisions. So you will be happy by the end of the day. And that was a double edged sword because a lot of the times they didn't ask for unlimited revisions. But there were some times when I was working with people for months because they just really wanted things changed. And there's a point where you have to draw a line where you're saying this is the best that it can be done. Right. But you're also relying on that review as well. So it kind of puts you in an interesting situation there when you're on the platform. I'm actually glad that you talked about that because that was going to be my next question of how many revisions you allow and if you price by revision. But have you thought about ever, I guess, adjusting that, like taking that slogan off based on that one experience? Oh, or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> so my fiber actually have slowed down a little bit because uh, I just want to focus more on, on things outside of it. Um, but yeah, that one of the, there's a few clients uh, near the end, at least where I realized there's the amount of time that you're putting in, even if it's stretched out um, for, for months, it's still a lot. And if you can achieve the same through less revisions, then that's definitely the better way to go because then you have the opportunity to work with more people and, and learn a lot more. Um, so that's something that definitely I highly recommend is, is limited. Are there any apps that you've created that you've thought to yourself like, oh, this is going to be a huge company or like this is going to be a huge product that this person that's coming to me is trying to create? Yeah, um, there's quite a few. There's some on both ends. One where it's like, uh, this is awesome, like such a cool vision. And there's another end where it's, I don't know why, what possessed you to think of something like this like no one should ever use this um, so I'm not going to do it Um, (laughs) uh, I think something really important with launching apps is not only what it's used for because if I feel like nowadays there's an app for everything right it's more of just the execution of how you can use it and the team behind it on how they can market it right so um, this team came out to me they're called Klein Sports it's a I'm no longer working with them but it's a fitness app that really helps athletes either in uh, high school or in college have a really optimized fitness program that would help you reach your athletic goals in your specific sport, which I thought was really cool. Um, In one aspect, it was, there's a lot of fitness apps out there that are very general. It's just like get healthy, like get ripped. Uh, But there weren't many out there that was specific for someone who for example, plays baseball or plays basketball, like what are the best workouts for you? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really cool niche. At the same time, the team behind it was very driven, especially the CEO. Uh, he had a pretty good background um, in sports science and he was just so passionate about the idea um, that he would just, he just had this energy to him where it could kind of just tell that he's not gonna let this idea fail. So that was something that was really exciting to work on as well. That's also so cool to be surrounded by people like that, that are just so driven, so ambitious, and you're like excited by their passion for it, you know? Yeah, it kind of motivates you a little bit. Definitely. Do you feel like there are ideas that you're kind of storing in the back of your head of an app that you would maybe want to create one day? Yeah, so many. There's so many. Um, And I've also tried working on a few of them. And it's it's a long and to actually make the app, to code it, and not only to code it, but to see if people would actually use it and to market it, it's it's a long process. And 
that takes a lot of time, which <laughs> it's hard to find that time. But yeah, there's a lot of ideas in my head where I like to keep them for a bit to just sort of validate this idea that popped in my head. Is it still a good idea or will it just be something that I'm just, oh, whatever, about two months from now? So those ideas where I think are really good months and months in the future, those are something that I like to keep in mind to be able to work on in the future. Put it in your notebook, store it for a rainy day. Yeah, like a post-it note or something. For sure, in your post-it notes that you have to have in front of you. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very cool. Do you see a world in which you're taking a lot of what you know from your nine to five, what you learn from your nine to five and intertwine it with this side hustle that you have going on? Because it seems like you are really passionate about this app creation, but it's also like you have a very successful nine to five career going on, which is amazing that you've been able to manage both. But I do wonder like, what is your kind of end goal with both of them? If you have an end goal, which I mean, you probably don't have an end goal yet, but do you have a vision to combine. Yeah, I'd say it actually goes both ways where the side hustle really helps out with my day-to-day and my day-to-day works out with my side hustle. Um, Both of them require a lot of communication. And on one side, it's communication with your peers who you know every day and you're working on long-term projects. And on this small side hustle, you're meeting people um, and you have to introduce yourself and sell yourself the whole time as you're talking to them and also prove to them that you know that you're going to be able to deliver them a successful product Uh, and that all needs to be evoked through just how you're communicating towards them. So being able to practice with these clients has really helped me um, be able to bring that into everyday life or or just in my my work life as well, like making sure that uh, we can communicate exactly how I'm going to handle a project and what to expect by the end of it. Um, I think there's a lot of something with the med device industry. And I think a lot of these like very complicated industries is that their softwares can be lacking. I think a big reason for that is because these situations that these softwares need to solve is so complicated and it's way less expensive to just use an updated version of a software you've been using for 10 years than to completely transition to a new one. So that's why you see a lot of these things that companies are forced to work with and they just have to deal with when there could easily be a new, fresh and and better solution. So every time I work my nine to five, I sort of identify just what could be better with these softwares that I'm using. And I hope one day I could maybe leverage that to develop my own software that could just any industry or med device specifically could use to really just improve employees' lives when they're using it because they just get so frustrated using it, but also to just save time for companies so they can focus more on just innovating and less of the the busy work that comes with it. For sure. And having that industry knowledge, like actually having used what your company and what the industry uses, you would definitely have a ton of insight into what could work better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people could uh, have that insight too. Um, And it's a really good sign when that insight is unanimous if everyone thinks this one small thing could be improved. Especially because then, you know, if you were the one to create something to fix a problem, it could be used by the masses. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. You never know. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess those are kind of possible long term goals for you, something that you may realize in the future. What are some of your short term goals? I guess both professionally within your nine to five, but then also with this app design, everything that you're doing, do you want to expand on it? Just tell us a little bit about what you foresee happening for you in the near future. Yeah, it's really interesting because I did entertain at one point elevating my nine or sorry, my side hustle into a full time job. Um, with my current job now, I really. Um, appreciate just the people and just the stuff that I'm working on and how my company really focuses on work-life balance as well. One of the, one of the big perks is it's a unlimited time off and you can just ask for a day off and they'll say, yes, no questions asked. So, so that's one of the biggest things um, that keeps me there and the people and the projects that I'm working on. Um, it would be really nice to, I've realized that doing this app design, I really enjoyed it because I was learning a lot from it. And um, 
something that could really get that feeling even more is making something on my own. So I think a more short term or middle term goal would be to use the skills that I've learned from the side hustle to make a product on my own for other people to actually hold in their hands and to be able to test. I think that'd be really cool. Whoa, that would be really cool. Yeah. You Do you have ideas for it already for a physical product? We do have one that me and my friends have been working on. I was going to say, you said we, there are people that are collaborating with you here. Yeah, me and my roommate and then our friend as well, we're all collaborating on this app. Uh, we call it Last Bite. Okay. It's a way for uh, restaurants to, I'm kind of selling this idea here. So Okay, please, no, please do, you guys. This is an exclusive. When this, when this app becomes huge, you heard it here first. Go ahead, Cameron. Absolutely. So a lot of restaurants uh, around the U.S. have a lot of food waste once closing hours hit. I remember I was working at Jimmy John's, and one of my main responsibilities um, when I closed the restaurant was to throw out a wagon of unused baguettes that are used for the sandwiches because it's more than a day old. And it's tragic, yeah, to see all of this food go to waste. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who would like to order this food, uh, especially if they could at a discount. And it would definitely fight against food waste as well to be able to market the surplus food. So the idea is to connect restaurants with consumers especially restaurants that are more uh, community-oriented, so very local shops that have food waste. And it gives these restaurants an opportunity to make some extra income by selling their surplus food, not food that's expired, but food that could have sold that day, but they will throw it out if no one wants it. And that would allow consumers to reserve that food and be able to purchase it at a heavy discount, so 3 to $5. Um, and then they'd be able to not only sell their surplus food to a customer to not let it go to waste, but they can also make some money doing it. And customers out there can also learn more about, uh, take a chance on these restaurants that they haven't heard of that they see through our platform. I think that's such a brilliant idea. And it's actually a really cool thing to be able to have an app for it, to have kind of all restaurants or any restaurants that want to participate be involved, especially these smaller restaurants. I remember as a kid, we would go to Brugger's Bagels And they would sell their discounted bagels, old bagels or whatever, like day old bagels, because obviously Mm -hmm. bagels, you have to make them fresh every day for customers. And we would buy those, we would buy those bagels and we were like, it's crazy that we're getting these at a discount. Like they're still so good. And they taste the same too. They taste the same. And also low key, there's something like a little good about like a slightly stale feeling bagel. It's a little bit more crispy. (laughs) Yeah, I so many people toast their bagels anyway. Like you don't even know. It's just, but that's the thing that restaurants, they have to have new food, you know, they would have to get rid of it anyway. So I think that's such an incredible idea. Thank you. That's cool. Do you guys have kind of like an idea of when this would be realized? Like when you guys would put it out, any like of the logistics figured out, or is it just an ideation stage right now? It's tough. We've actually developed a bit of it. Um, the only issue is we'd have to all find the time to collaborate on it, which is really tough nowadays. And also we have to not only release that, but it's also a full-time job to talk to customers to see if they're interested in it, both mostly the restaurant side. Definitely, I feel like yeah. the customer side, they for sure will be interested in something like that. Um, and another big thing too is the competition out there. So there's another, there's a few other apps that, that do this and uh, we would have to strategize how we release our app, what types of restaurants we're releasing it to, what areas we're releasing it in. So all that takes some time, but it's definitely something that we're going to keep trying to pursue on the side. I think you definitely should. And you guys also have a great name for it. I love that. I know. That's like the main motivator of this idea is that, that the name is too good. Isn't right? that? Yeah. Names are really motivators, though. Like if you feel like you just have a great name, you can't let that idea go to waste. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you see someone else use it. Oh my, can you imagine? And the fact that we got a domain name and everything, lastbyteapp.com, it's available. No one else thought of this name somehow. Isn't that the wildest thing? Yeah. Okay, honestly, guys, that was like with excuse my reach. I am always, (laughs) I was too, like toying around with different ideas. I have another podcast as well, but the name Mm. excuse my reach, I loved it so much. And it was a phrase that I would say all the time across the dinner table, like whenever we would reach for something. Yeah. That is a phrase that like from childhood, 
I would use all the time, like, excuse my reach. And I'm like, I feel like it's such a great name for a podcast where you're interviewing people, you're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of their lives, of their professional lives. Excuse uh, my reach. <laughs> so did you say that at the dinner table and then it just like hits you? No, literally. I said it one time. I said it at the dinner table, probably a year before I actually launched the podcast or anything. But I said it at the dinner table and immediately I thought that is a great podcast name. And immediately when I think of a name like that, I do the same thing. First, I check to see if the domain is available. Mm. Then also a great one is to see if anybody has the Gmail. Because obviously people use Gmail all the time. So if you get the Gmail, it's like the three things that I check. Is it already a website? Do they have a Gmail and Instagram? And all those things were free for it. So I was like, okay, perfect. We got to do something. That's like a chef's kiss moment when Absolutely. everything you get that giant green check mark. It's like because it rarely does work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, because the internet's so like I feel like everything should be taken. Right? Absolutely, so, there's everything. Everything has been taken, but yeah, but not for you guys. Last bite's still out there, and you guys are now it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Really cool. Well. Unfortunately, we do have to kind of wrap up this interview. We've been talking for quite a while and I've loved talking to you. I've loved hearing about your passions, about your profession. And I just want to know, is there a piece of advice that you would like to leave listeners with, whether they're trying to start their own side hustle, whether they're trying to get into engineering specific to quality design engineering, whether they're trying to combine the two? If you were talking to your younger self, I guess, what piece of advice would have been really helpful for you to hear? Uh, that's a really good question. I think um, there could be different pieces of advice for both aspects of my life. For the side hustle, I think there's a lot of ideas out there. And if you can identify your strengths or not even your strengths, just what you're interested in and you'd like to pursue that on the side, um, trying never really hurts. Like I, I hear that a lot, but a lot of people have 10 or 15 ideas or maybe even like three ideas that they could potentially pursue just focusing on one and trying it out and seeing if it's worth it, if it's something you want to pursue even more. Um, that's like the best step to gain momentum in whatever you're doing. So um, that's my advice there is to try. For my career, my nine to five, is really evaluate how happy you are in your career. I know there's a lot of uh, situations where you have to um, stay in your career exactly for um, just exact to pay the bills, uh, things like that. Um, if you want to pursue something outside of that, uh, just like a small amount of, even if it's just like an hour of working towards that every day could really go, go far in the near future if it's ever six months or a year. So just putting in just like a little bit of effort here and there, instead of just trying to find the time to do all of it can make those pursuits a little bit less daunting. That's really great advice on both fronts. I feel like I feel like people are going to be able to hear this and just see that both paths are available. And I love the advice of literally just try because I think the, the first step is always sometimes the hardest for people. It's like, well, where is it going to go? How long is it going to take me to get to the end product? But it's like you don't just just do it. Just start it because if you just start it, then you've already taken the hardest step, right? Like that's the cliche thing of what they say, but it is kind of true to just get over that initial doubt of starting something new, even if it's just to see if you like it or you're good at it or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Really cool. Okay, well, my final question for you, something that I end all my podcasts with, what is a quote that you live by? I got a good one because I heard about it like a few weeks ago and it just like clicked. Amazing. Um, I say it all the time. (laughs) To worry is to suffer twice. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I know there's points where you've got to worry. Like, it's a pretty big situation. But that is something I live by. Or I tried my best to. Wow, I've never heard that. Where did you hear that? Uh, it was just like some Facebook or Reddit post or just something. Social super media. Bad. Yeah, Reddit. I You're getting like, your quotes from Reddit. I love it. No, yeah. I should have said something way cooler. <laughs> no, no, no. RuneScape. RuneScape, yeah. Some kid told me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Cameron, can you please let people know if they want to find you, if they want to use your services? Just let people know where they can find you. Absolutely. It's uh, www.cameronmotameni.com. 
that is where you could find my work, uh, my portfolio, things I've worked on, um, a little bit about myself as well. Perfect. Guys, reach out to him. He'll help you create your app or whatever. Yeah, anything. (laughs) Well, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've loved chatting with you. I've loved kind of getting to catch up and also just hear about your life in a very different way than we'd probably ever talk about. And I think for a lot of useful information, people are going to be able to hear this and just know that things are possible out there. It's not so daunting when you hear it from somebody else. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been such a fun, awesome time. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening to Excuse My Reach. As always, you can find us on all major streaming platforms. Like, download, share with your friends, be kind to those around you, and don't be afraid to reach a little higher. That was an awesome closeout. (laughs) Thank you.